0: really it's been turned on its head in a lot of ways. We're also going to be talking about the NFL, all the NFL week 13 picks. Also going to be talking about um, some, some of the honestly not so interesting stuff that happened this week. A lot of people are not interested in hearing about the MLB lockout for obvious reasons. They don't, care about millionaires and billionaires bickering amongst each other. They just want to see ball played. But we're going to talk about that and and what might lead to the end of that hopefully soon for baseball fans. We'll talk about all of that and much, much more coming up on this newest, latest, and I know very late, my apologies for that episode of Real Take Sports Talk live here on YouTube. Before we get started officially, though, please, please, please hit that like button, subscribe if you're on YouTube, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a daily video is released. Also, be sure, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, to leave us a five-star review. That way, more people can be introduced to the the awesomeness that is Real Take Sports. Got a lot of uh, interesting things in the way, or in 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 the way yeah the the only thing that's in the way right now is me uh with my with my just i'm just droning on at this point aren't i anyway let's get to sports that's why we're all here so our first official topic of the day is honestly something that came to a surprise to me and i think honestly a lot of people in the in the realm of uh sports um as I try to find my graphic, as you can tell, I'm definitely off today. Um, yeah, one second. So what happens on live TV- on live YouTube sometimes? Anyway, so uh, let's talk about this because this is probably some of the biggest news in football, college or otherwise. That's going on right now. The landscape of college football has been changed drastically over the past week. We've had two, count them, two huge late season moves. Now, former Notre Dame head coach Brian Kelly has resigned from his post as head coach of the Fighting Irish and will be taking over the LSU football program next year we also have news out of southern california now former sooners oh yes oklahoma sooners head coach lincoln riley boom he's done boomer sooner he's out of here and he is going to be the next head coach of the usc trojans what the heck is going on that's what everyone's wondering why is this happening Notre Dame is 11-1 right now and ranked number six. Yes, number six in the country and does still have a path to becoming a top four uh, fo- uh, college football playoff team. Why would Brian Kelly leave? I don't know, but actually I do know I have a theory. We'll talk about that in a second, but let's talk about Lincoln Riley first. So Lincoln Riley was talked about as someone who – is a revolutionary offensive mind. He's always had a great offense ever since he's been at um, Oklahoma. The Oklahoma Sooners have been, you know, leading the country, basically. If you if you average them out over the past six or so years, they've been leading the country as far as offense goes. This is a historically very good offense. Lincoln Riley knows how to coach offense. You can argue he doesn't know how to coach defense, but that's not his forte. And he was talked about as someone who could potentially be in line for an NFL head coaching job in the same mold as a Cliff Kingsbury, in the same mold as someone like uh, Sean McVay, a young, offensive-minded guy can come in and coach a team in success. That team is not going to be an NFL team. Instead, it's going to be the USC Trojans, which have been looking for a head coach for a while now. You could argue since Pete Carroll left, they've been looking to really solidify that head coaching spot. Laney Kiffin didn't work out. Uh, Some other people didn't work out. But now, there now, uh, Lincoln Riley is the guy. Can Lincoln Riley change the culture at USC? Can he change it back to a winning culture? If there's someone I trust in college football to change an offense in it into a winner, right now, to completely come in and change the offense into something that is to be threatened, that is Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley can legitimately turn the USC Trojans into a threat, especially with all this, even with all this talk about, you know, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 potentially merging. Actually, they announced earlier this year that there was going to be some sort of an agreement there. So even with all that going on, I think this is still going to be the USC Trojans in not next year, but two, three, four years. This is going to be a top tier college football program again. And it's going to be because not only do you have Lincoln Riley and his his aptitude to coach an offense. Again, offense. This is not going to be a good defensive team. Or if, if it is, it has nothing to do with the Lincoln Riley hire. But he's going to be able to come in there and boom, the offense is going to be great. Two, you're getting the fact that Lincoln Riley is going to be recruiting kids. And what has happened to the past few quarterbacks, especially, that Lincoln Riley has had in his system at Oklahoma? Jalen Hurts, what's he doing? Starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Baker Mayfield, number one overall pick. Say what you want about his play, but he's a number one overall pick. Success in the NFL. Might get an, uh, going to get a money-worthy contract somewhere down the line. So you have all of these Oklahoma quarterbacks. You have all these Oklahoma players. Marquise Hollywood-Brown, Mark Andrews, tight end for the Baltimore Ravens. All these players who were going to the NFL level and having success. When you're a kid coming out of the co- or coming into college and you're deciding where to go and you're deciding who's going to coach you, especially when you're a football kid, when you're trying to hopefully get to the NFL, that's something that you have to keep in mind. You want someone who's going to prepare you and who has a reputation to prepare people to go to the next level. That is going to be a crucial recruiting tool for USC moving forward. Because before, ever since Pete Carroll left, they've really not had that. They have not had the credibility of someone like Lincoln Riley in a very long time. And I think, like I said, the culture of this team is going to change overnight with Lincoln Riley. I think it's a great hire for USC. For Lincoln Riley, he's getting a lot of money, so I understand why he did it. He's getting another challenge. And he's a great football coach. And what do great football coaches love to do? They love great football challenges. It adds to their legacy. Does this take him out of the running to be an... NFL head coach maybe three, four years down the line, never say never. We've seen it before. We've seen it happen with even successful college football coaches who come in and change programs. They'll leave for the NFL. If the money's right, the money's right. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day. They want to make as much money as possible in order to uh, have that for their families, have that for themselves. Obviously, that's what it's all about. It's a business. But make no bones about it. The USC uh, Trojans hiring uh, Lincoln Riley. An amazing move. Like for them, especially how downtrodden that program has been. Really, really good move. Um, moving over and talking about Brian Kelly, though. This one was a honestly. Look, the Oklahoma Sooners were really taken out of college football playoff contention uh after their uh second loss of the season. Like, like it was it was over for them, you know. So I understand Lincoln Riley not wanting to really you know, th- there's really no need to finish the season. You could argue that you probably should have. I don't get why Brian Kelly didn't finish the season. W- I mean, I, I again, it, maybe it's just my naivete. I understand you want to get a head start of recruiting. You want to set your, you want to set that 2021 year up to or 2022 year up to be su- as successful as possible. And not being a part of a potential college football playoff, not being part of preparing for a bowl game, is crucial to that so and you don't you don't know, time is money got it but man oh man you're telling me an 11 and 1 Notre Dame team that is currently ranked 6th in the country you're telling me that you're leaving that the 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 only thing that he didn't accomplish while at Notre Dame was winning the national championship he's had undefeated seasons he's had Great seasons. He's been College Football Coach of the Year. He's coached Heisman Trophy winners. He almost coached a defensive Heisman Trophy winner in Manti Teo in 2013. But you're telling me that the one last chance you might have to go to the college football playoff and finally, finally, by God, finally tell everyone. Let everyone know that you are that damn good of a coach and win a national championship. I know it's not guaranteed, but number six in the country, still a, lot, a few weeks left, still a lot of dominoes to fall before the final rankings come out. You're 11-1, you're Notre Dame. You're going to get that extra push uh, if push comes to shove. It's It really just surprised me the fact that he left. Now, is he going to be, or how is he going to do at LSU? It's going to be tough. I'm not even going to lie to you. It's going to be a lot tougher for Brian Kelly at LSU than it's going to be for Lincoln Riley at USC. Because Brian Kelly, great coach, the coaching acumen is not a boom non-factor. the The biggest issue with him with with L, with that in that situation, I should say, is the fact that LSU. Is in inarguably, the toughest conference in college football. You could take the Pac-12, the Pac-12, or the, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, hell, the ACC. Put them all together, doesn't come close to the monster, the absolute beast that the SEC is. LSU has the 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 clout to recruit people just on its own name, but putting it all together, and competing year in and year out on the level of Nick Saban, on the level of of uh, the Georgia head coach. On that level, that is going to be the expectation for Brian Kelly, and that's what I think sets apart these two situations. I think you're going to see a lot more people give Lincoln Riley leeway if he has a bad year than Brian Kelly, because you're expecting Brian Kelly, he's been part of all of these winning teams. Like, his... I, his record at Notre Dame was act was insane um it, uh, like I think it was like something around like 90 wins to 29 losses or or, or something along those lines it was absolutely absurd over almost what a a 10 year period so the fact that you know like the fact that he's coming into this situation at lSU lSU had a good year uh, the year Joe Burrow and them went, came and won the national championship. They moved on from Coach O. Sorry, Coach O. Them's the breaks. That same pressure is going to be on Brian Kelly In, almost immediately. They might give him a year and be like, okay, cool. This year we better be competing for a national championship. And if we're not, don't be surprised. They moved on. Coach O, they, Coach O is a national championship winning head coach. Granted, they had Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, but Ed Ed Orgeron won the national championship for LSU in uh, 2019, and they moved on from less than two years later. Like, yeah, 2020 happened, 2021 after like midway through the season, everyone knew Coach Joe was going to be gone. So with that same pressure on, it's going to be it's going to be important for Brian Kelly more than ever to. Make sure that his team is in a position where they compete. And it, it's easy to say. I understand he's one of the greatest coaches of this or best coaches of this generation, but you're going up against monsters, absolute monsters in the SEC. So he's going to be dealing with that. My money is on Lincoln Riley producing the, or Lincoln Riley being in the better situation. And that is not, you know, oh, I, I'm hating on someone or or anything like that, anything like that. That is just abject fact. Lincoln Riley is in the better situation to succeed. If not, prove me wrong. And if not. Please, please, please be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. We've got daily videos on the MLB, the NBA, the NFL, WWE, and AEW, so please, please, please hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the return of the Minshew moment. So this is a segment we used to do a lot on the show where we used to highlight Gardner Minshew and and his progress in the NFL. Um, so it's back, by the way, yeah, just in case anyone's wondering. The, the Minshew moment is back. So in this week's Minshew moment, we're going to be talking about Gardner Flint, Minshew second and whether or not he might start or what's next for Gardner Minshew. That's what's on a lot of people's minds. What is next for Gardner Flint, Minshew second? A lot of people... When Gardner Minshew was the backup in Jacksonville in the preseason, people thought that he was definitely going to be traded. Everyone knew that was going to happen. The only question was where. Could it be the Broncos, who you don't know if at that point, you didn't know if Teddy Bridgewater was going to be the guy. You didn't think that Drew Locke had it in him because Teddy was actually beating him out. Do the Broncos take a chance on bringing in Minshew, an extra arm, potentially someone to compete for that starting job? They didn't. Then you move on to a team like the Cowboys, who really needed a backup quarterback with Dak Prescott still dealing with some injury issues. Was he could he be a guy? Could he get some playing time there? Dallas didn't go that route. You had a few situations. Uh Washington, um, Seattle, who needed a backup, um and Philadelphia, granted, who who could have used him. The Jets probably could have used any veteran, um, and Minshew would have could have been like that that Bridge quarterback until you got to Zach Wilson. That didn't happen. It ended up being Philadelphia. He got traded to Philadelphia in what at that time was a very stuffed and full quarterback room. Jalen Hurts was the starter. Joe Flacco was the backup. And Minshew was kind of the extra guy. Now Joe Flacco has been traded. He's with the Jets. He started a game over there. Now Minshew is the backup. And people are wondering. People in Philadelphia are wondering. Like they're they're inconsistent. They're, they don't have a 500 record right now. They had a chance to win an easy game, honestly, against the Giants, but they proved they couldn't do it. And a lot of that had to do with Jalen Hurts's is, just bad quarterback play. And you know, it's a bad team too. It's a bad team, but man, oh man, you got to think at some point, are they going to give Minshew the a shot? I'm not sure because you could argue that this is not Jalen Hurts' fault, the way that things have played out, and you'd make a pretty good case. Jalen Hurts is probably the only reason or one of the only reasons they're in a lot of these games. If Jalen Hurts' receivers weren't dropping passes left and right, then maybe they might still be in you know the hunt for the playoffs. And like they're still in the hunt, but it's going to be difficult. It's going to be really difficult for them, considering the way they're playing, uh, even at 5-7. and seven. But back to Minshew. So, the reality is, I don't. I think anyone, even the the quarterback or even the head coach, knows you you switch Minshew for Hurts, Is that going to make a huge difference? Probably not. So, aside from Philadelphia, I don't think Gardner Minshew has a future in the with the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't think that that's going to be a situation where he can eventually start or he can have a long term uh, career there. I do think. That in the offseason, once again, there is going to be a market for Gardner Minshew. And at that point, uh, this is his third year. He'll be going into the last year of his rookie deal. I believe, I don't know, like the fifth year option. If, if that they're able to pick that up in the offseason potentially. Maybe they do that. Gives you two years. What do you do at that point? This is a guy who's a six-round pick. Who has shown that when he plays, Gardner Minshew is almost probably one of if not the most productive quarterback I've seen like over a 20 game span as far as just efficiency like we're talking about 37 touchdowns to 11 interceptions in 20 career starts these are not the stats of a scrub these are not the stats of someone who is a, a who should be a perennial back these are stats of someone who can really start in this league and I I think make a difference on a solid team. He's not, a, look, don't get me wrong, he's not a great quarterback. But he has potential to be really, really freaking good. And there's a lot of starters in the NFL that he's honestly better than. Daniel Jones. Gardner Minshew's better than him. Maybe the New York Giants take a chance on him. You got people, I love Tyrod Taylor. Gardner Minshew is younger. Gardner Minshew is cheaper. And Gardner Minshew has a longer future ahead of him. You have the Broncos. Teddy's played well. I think Gardner Minshew would be an improvement even on Teddy Bridgewater. Again, cheaper, younger. Slightly more efficient, I think, at this point. So he's got options. And he's got the talent. It's just about... Where the will end up. I, to me, it really depends on a few things. The Aaron Rodgers situation is probably the number one thing it depends on because we know that Aaron Rodgers is going to be the talk of free agency this offseason. Wherever he goes, whether he, it's staying in, in Green Bay, whether it's being traded to the Denver Broncos, like many have reported or many have speculated that that might be the case, that domino needs to fall before. We talk about Minshew going anywhere, but his future is just not in Philadelphia. This is a dude who can start. This is a dude who can win games and play very, very well. I mean, he took a—in 2019, the Jacksonville Jaguars had completely decimated their own football team. He started 12 games, went 6-6, six six, 21 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Should have been Rookie of the Year as a sixth-round draft pick. Are You want to argue with me? Look at Kyler Murray's stats— Look at the team stats for Arizona. Compare them to Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville, his rookie year. Tell me who should have been rookie of the year. The next year, he comes in on a just terrible team. An all-around bad team. Still puts up six, 16 touchdowns to 5 interceptions. Complete 60% of his 65, plus over 65% of his passes. And was responsible for the sole win of the season even after the team had already given up. So at some point, if you were a a if you're a someone who's evaluating talent, you're a scout, you're a GM, and you need a quarterback, just know that this guy who is just efficiency personified, Doesn't make mistakes. In 20 career games, only 11 interceptions to 37 touchdowns. Over 5,500 yards in 20 games. Just know that this guy's out there. And for some ungodly reason, there's not a clamoring for this guy to be playing. And again, it's not a thing of... Oh my God, Gardner Minshew should be starting over Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is the leader of that football team. He's he hasn't really made a mistake to lose his starting job. Do I think Gardner Do I think Gardner Minshew would put the Eagles in a better position to win? Maybe. But even given that, I really don't think the Eagles are in any position to win because it's a god awful garbage football team. But y'all let me know in the chat. Let me know what you guys think. Let me know what you guys have to say. Hit that like button. Subscribe and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Also, if you want to donate a chat to guarantee it is read out on the air and to also make my freaking day, hit that link in the chat. It is pinned right there, that donation link uh, from Streamlabs. Please do that. Moving on. We have some... um, Some interesting news, to say the least, from Tampa Bay. And this is just, if you're a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I don't know what to tell you other than, I think everyone saw this coming as far as something was going to happen. Because something always has to happen when Antonio Brown is on your football team. And this is not me saying, oh, he's not a good player. And Antonio Brown is a talented football player. All right. Like like that is there, there's no bro, no bones about that. All right. There's no bones about that. He is a talented ass football player who, based off of his talent alone, des- deserves to be starting on a team. Yeah. But these types of decisions aren't made solely on football. They're made on other things as well. And considering everything he's done and this latest thing, I don't know, man. I don't know. Let's talk about it. Before I get ahead of myself, let's talk about it. Antonio Brown. This is the big breaking news out of today. Antonio Brown, Tampa Bay, Ah, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver, Antonio Brown was suspended by the NFL for three games, three games for violating the NFLPA pandemic protocols. The league announced uh, this past week, Uh, the league. Oh, excuse me. Oh my gosh, that's what happens when I don't have water on standby, but it'd be like that. Anyway, Tampa Bay wide receiver, oh my God, it's it's happening again. Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Antonio Brown has been suspended for three games for violating the NFL and the NFLPA pandemic protocols, according to league sources on Thursday. The league and the players union found that Brown was among three players on Tampa Bay who had misrepresented this is important here. Misrepresented their vaccination status. A former personal chef of Brown said earlier this month that the wide receiver had apparently uh, obtained a fake co- uh, 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 pandemic vaccine card. So that's that, that made the rounds, and we talked about that earlier. But now it's it's been ruled that he apparently did, in fact, mislead the team, potentially with this uh, fake uh, vaccine card. And... He's suspended for three games. He's gonna miss three game checks of tens of thousands of dollars. Um, also suspended for three games were Buccaneers backup safety, Mike Edwards, and free agent, now free agent wide receiver, uh John Franklin, who was uh with the Bucks before. All three players have accepted their discipline and will not appeal. So that kind of shows you where how where where that lies here. they're not appealing this. So apparently. They don't have good standing to appeal, this, you would think. Anyway, Antonio Brown's ascended for three games. And the only thing I can say is... Something was bound to happen. And this is not me piling on, as people want to say, on Antonio Brown. This is not me saying that, oh my god, I told you so. Or maybe it is. Because... One thing we know with Antonio Brown on every single team he's been on, he has been very productive for, you know, all but one team he's been on. He's been extremely productive throughout his career. This is a dude who, his, if you just gazed his talent, arguably one of the most talented receivers I've ever seen play the game of football. With the way he runs routes, with the way he he, he jukes the uh, defenders, his ability to catch the ball... His, his football ability alone warrants him being one of the greats. But everything he does off the football field warrants this man not being on the football field. And I'm not talking about just this. This is just a one in a long line of just, I don't even know what to say, Uh, things, actions that Antonio Brown has taken that has ruined his reputation, cost him literally tens of millions of dollars. And made it so that he is probably one of the most toxic players in the NFL. I'm going to take you guys back to Oakland. All right. Well, we won't even go over what he did in Pittsburgh. He comes to Oakland, a fresh start. He gets traded, he gets a big payday $30 million guaranteed to him. Antonio Brown had tens of millions of dollars guaranteed to him, and all he had to do was show up, Monday Night Football, first game of the season, and suit up for that game. What happened in the weeks and months uh, preceding that? Didn't want to practice because of his helmet. Threatened to uh, fight Mike Mayock, the, uh, the GM of the Oakland Raiders at the time. He recorded a private phone call with John Gruden and then made a video after the Raiders released him claiming that he's free. And he was happy that he gave up $30 million. Okay. He's made a lot of money. Granted, I think $30 million is generational wealth, but he gave up that money. His decision, we can judge it all we want, but his decision, okay, goes to New England. The one place that everyone's like, if there's anywhere that can fix him, if there's anywhere it's going to keep everything quiet and he's going to you know be be very be a very uh efficient football player on and off the field it's going to be there goes to new england tom brady brings him into his home and he's productive for for a few weeks there and then the noise starts again we see allegations very serious allegations of sexual assault we see text messages where antonio brown threatened the accuser. His accuser. We, and and again, these are things that are still being dealt with. We see videos of Antonio Brown fighting with the mother of his children. Arguing, I should say, with the mother of his children. In front of his children. Not good optics. We, we hear and see a lot of noise. And the allegations, which I... You, It's the most serious part of it because I think a lot of people forget that part. We are so enamored with football players that we forget about these allegations and we forget about the fact that Antonio Brown literally threatened his accuser. Stupid, stupid behavior from a stupid, stupid football player and a stupid, stupid man. Even if, even if the allegations are not true, even if he, even if all of that, you're telling me at any point you thought it was a good idea to threaten the accuser? And now, at a time where player safety is of paramount importance for both the league and the Players Association where they have these protocols in place. You like them, you don't like them, they're there. You can be unvaccinated and play in the NFL, all, but what you'll have to do is you'll have to get tested, you have to go through some protocol, wear a mask. Okay, there are literally a lot of players on a lot of teams. My quarterback, Lamar Jackson, doing the same thing. You don't hear a word about it from him. But no, Antonio Brown is someone with, I don't know what it is, whether it's an impulse control problem, whether it's something else. But this person obviously feels like he does not need to be held accountable for anything or to anyone. And that's an issue. We just saw Amari Cooper come off a two-game suspension for a similar thing. And now he's being suspended for three games. The NFL is seeing this happen. These are three players who just happened to, and the and you're telling me that three game suspension was it? I'm done talking about this. Honestly, like, you you want to talk about football? Talk about football, but don't but don't act like not on things that happen off the football field don't affect what happens on the football field, because that's dumb. All right. There's a lot of fans out there who want to say that, oh, my God, people are freaking out about this whole A.B. thing. No. Because by lying to about your vaccination status or misleading, as it says, I don't know whether what, what I don't know exactly what he did. They haven't released exactly what happened. All we know is the reports of the chef uh, from the chef that he, he uh, had a fake vaccine card. What we do know is that again and again, Antonio Brown has been a distraction and a very toxic one at that. One that is beyond just this. We're not. And here's the thing. We're not talking about T.O. You know, doing curl ups in his in his uh, driveway. We're not talking about Randy Moss doing a touchdown celebration. We're not talking about, you know, someone talking a lot of smack like Steve Smith used to do. We're talking about someone who has been a detriment to himself and other people and his teammates and the almost anyone he comes in contact with. It's a problem. A serious problem. But some people don't want to talk about it. Is what it is, right? Is what it is. That's what everyone's going to say. I'll tell you what it is. It's sad. Truly. It is sad. Let's move on. Talk about uh, more sad news, honestly. I Though not, well, not as sad as, as uh, probably what happened uh, in the previous segment. But... Still sad, nonetheless. An MLB lockout is what we are in the middle of right now. Seven minutes is all it took for the, the MLB to decide that the players need to be locked out. Seven minutes. Seven minutes is how long the league and the Players Association met the other day to negotiate the CBA before the league's owners decided that locking out the players was the right move. The owners locked out the players at 12.01 a.m. on Thursday after the expiration of uh, of baseball's five-year collective bargaining agreement. During the lockout, free, free agency trades of major league players are not allowed. The freest would come on the heels of honestly what I what the craziest, most active free agency period I've seen in my entire life. I think there was something crazy like $1.6 billion in in free agency money spent. We saw Scherzer agree to a big time deal. Um, we saw a bunch of other big time deals happen. Like it, it's it's it was a crazy beginning to an offseason, but the offseason has been at least frozen for now. Players are locked out. We're looking at a worker stoppage, we're looking at potentially this affecting the season, which again, we're a few months away from that. So there's plenty of time here to negotiate, but I want to explain to everyone, some of the key uh, points of disagreement between the players and the MLB, because that's really what this comes down to the disagreements between these two sides and why they can't come together to on this collective bargaining agreement. So we can just play baseball. So the, the, Number one thing here for the Players Association is free agency. The MLBPA wants to keep the existing system of free agency for the upcoming 2022 year, and then in 2023, 2024, make in the off seasons make the elig- eligibility of six years of service when you come into the MLB. At to yeah uh, uh, at um make the six years of service to five years of service, and basically decrease the service amount uh, of years and, and all that stuff. Um, again, I don't have my water, so I do have a little bit here. Uh, I'm sorry. It's been one of those days. Anyway, but basically what the MOVPA wants is to decrease the amount of time of service to, um, of, of in order to be eligible for free agency. They want to decrease the amount of time you're eligible for free agency, uh, the amount of service you have to do before you hit free agency for a player. The MLB wants to keep the existing system and change eligibility to the age of 29 rather than six years of service, which that's what it's been since 1976. The players want to eventually phase that out to uh, five years of service and possibly four years of service. They basically want it so... The players have less time before they can become free agents. That's what the MLBPA wants. The MLB, obviously, the owners want to keep players for as long as they can. Um, so that's a point of disagreement. Then we talked about service time. The MLBPA uh, had made a proposal aimed to prevent what is sa- what it says is service time manipulation, including allowing the accruing uh, uh, of service time for rookies for awards and special accomplishments. The MLB just flat-out rejected that proposal. Postseason expansion is another point of slight disagreement. The MLBPA wants to agree to a 12-game expanded playoff and the possible realignment of two divisions per league. The MLB wants to expand it from 10 to 14 teams in the playoffs with wildcards increasing to two per league, division winners, and and all that kind of stuff. They want more more teams involved. Uh, Bit of history. After 26 and a half years of what has been described as labor peace, the two sides have now reverted to what is a bitter squabbling um, and it led to a work stoppage from 1972 uh, or it's the eighth work stop, worker stoppage since 19, from 1972 to 1995 and that included uh, a seven and a month seven and a half month long strike that completely wiped out the 1994 World Series. What's next? I'll tell you what's next. A long, long time of waiting. The MLBPA has what in their mind are very common sense and reasonable goals and reasonable uh, things they're asking for in the collective bargaining agreement. Less time for players uh, of service to a single team before they hit free agency. They also want to be able to, you know, eventually have some time that they have in minor leagues or, or in developmental to count towards free agency. The MLB, obviously the owners, want to keep these players for as long as they can before they hit free agency and before they can sign with whomever they want. At some point, the MLB is going to be forced. This man, Rob Manfred, arguably, inarguably the worst commissioner in the Of Among the four sports, the four major sports in America. This man, eventually, my prediction, my spoiler, is that he is going to cave. That is what he does best. Rob Manfred caves. And look, I'm not one who honestly gets in the middle of or who really cares about millionaires and billionaires squabbling amongst themselves. But here's what I will say. The teams are nothing without, A, the fans who support them, and B, the players. The owners have very little to do with the teams other than bankrolling them. And we've as we've seen with the Angels, as we previously saw with the Mets, owners who are heavily involved, in baseball especially, they're not the ones who turn out to be the best owners. So they're very much detached from the team. Yet they are the same people who will deprive you and me of baseball as a negotiating tactic to prevent the players from what are honestly reasonable demands from our standpoint and theirs. But no, 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 no. The owners are answering to the people that matter most. To them, at least. They're answering to... The people that they care about the most. And it's not you and me. It's not the fans. It's not the players. It's not—it's definitely not Rob Manfred, this joke of a commissioner. It is themselves and their bottom line. All owners in any professional sports care about are how the team, the organization, the league affect their bottom line. They don't care about the integrity of the game. If integrity of the game meant so much to these owners, their jobs wouldn't exist. Their entire function is to bankroll these teams, which you could argue could also be done on a community basis. But no, 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 no. We can't have that because then our jobs would cease to exist. In fact, when you think about it, what is the what is the whole point of the MLB, the M- NFL, the M- NBA having owners? Because, honestly, I mean, there's a few, a handful of owners you can count that are actually productive members of the front office that actually help their teams win consistently outside of them. Like, the 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 Steve Bishottis, the, you know, the... The Robert Crafts of the world, the Mark Cubans, outside of them, the GMs do all the heavy lifting. The players do a lot of the heavy lifting. The fans probably do the most heavy lifting by actually buying into the sport and paying for tickets, paying for jerseys, paying for merchandise, paying for TV. But no, 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 no the MLB wants you to believe that they are right. They are doing what's best for the sport by stopping it in its tracks. And it's not because they want what's best for you. It's not because they want what's best for me. It's not because they want what's best for the players. It's not because they want what's best for baseball. It's because they want what's best for them. That's why they bought these teams. That's why their job exists. That's why his job exists. And we all know that if this was a fair and just world that judged people about how good well they do their jobs and how much their job actually matters, someone like Rob Manfred would not be employed in the position that he is. It's not an opinion. It is just abject fact. Real take truth. Them's the breaks, people. I, I'm so serious about this. Like, the, the owners think they can just manipulate us into, into believing their false narrative of they're saving baseball by stopping it from happening. Give me a break. Give me a freaking Break. Also, give me a like, a share, and a subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever one of our daily videos is released as I uh, consume a cough drop because, man, oh, man, is my throat dry. Got a lot more to talk about today, including some news out of uh, Washington, the Washington football team. Oh, the one team everyone likes to talk. They gotta win this. They gotta win last week. That is true. They they beat the Seattle Seahawks, which is man oh man, B- big L man man. Russell Wilson. N- no one's down worse than him right now. Feel so bad for him. Um. Anyway. Ooh, that bit down. Force the habit. Um. Anyone listening to this on a podcast? I'm sorry. We have a few more segments, including this one on the Washington football team, tampering in the NBA, and ooh, a surprise. Yeah, we got a surprise one, too. Also, we're going to talk about every single game in NFL Week 13. So much to do, so much to see, so take a backseat, and let's get to it. Um, So, this was a big story on Twitter, especially, so robert griffin III, rg rg3 is writing a book about his time it for uh playing for the washington football team which first of all i think that's awesome i think that's hilarious because you know just when the washington football team thought that they were done dealing with pr nightmares oh they're about to get another one um so here it is uh So this is RG3 talking about his new book, his new tell-all book. RG3's new tell-all book, which was a sentence I never thought I'd say. Anyway, this is RG3 on his new tell-all book that is going to reveal some of the biggest secrets of the Washington football team. Let's take a listen. What's up, guys? I'm so excited to announce that I wrote a book and it's coming out in August, 2022, titled Surviving Washington. Now, every experience that I've ever had has made me a better husband, a better father, and a better player. But I want you to take this journey with me as I walk you through one of the most dysfunctional franchises in all of sports. I'm gonna tell you the truth about what happened in that playoff game in 2012 against Seattle. I'm gonna detail the medical mismanagement that I received during my time in Washington. I'm gonna open your eyes to the sexual harassment that permeated the walls of that building and give you a deep dive into a power struggle between one of the most powerful coaches in all of sports and an owner that many of you want gone. They say the truth will set you free, so here it is, unfiltered. Pre-order now. RG three did one hell of a job selling me that book. I cannot wait to buy it. I cannot wait to read it. So first of all, uh, kudos to RG three for for the the amount of just sh- uh, shameless self promotion there. It is something that I have at this point mastered and and I'm glad that he is he has as well. Um but getting to the 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 subject of this new tello book that he's going to be writing about the Washington football team, the franchise that he once played for. He was a second overall pick for. He was seen as the franchise moving forward for He's going to talk about everything that went wrong. He's going to talk about what, apparently what happened during his um during that playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks in 2012, when he got injured and he was never the same player after that, and he's going to talk about the the power struggle and which we we kind of know of. Mike Shanahan came out a few years ago and he I remember he did this interview with uh, Undisputed on Skip and Shannon's show, and he talked about very very candidly as well about how difficult it was for him as a coach, you know, being just doing his job. With Dan Snyder and everyone else in the front office, kind of trying to meddle with his coaching uh, ability, with his coaching style. So we kind of know that part of the story. Robert Griffin has talked slightly about what happened there, but it seems like he's going to be going way more in depth than anything, than th- just that. He's going to be talking about not only the power struggle between Shanahan Snyder, and Snyder in the front office, but he's also going to be talking about the Remember that report from the New York or Washington Post that came out last year about the sexual assault allegations, the, the the culture of the Washington football team that one Bruce Allen once said was actually damn good. What a joke. So, the fact that you have RG3 talking about this, I think is it's going to just mean more heat on this team, rightfully so, because they are owned by Arguably one of the worst owners in professional sports in Dan Snyder. That is my opinion. That just happens to be uh, pretty true, in my opinion. Um, But it's going to be interesting to read because we know, I mean, look, we know about this team. It has been a dumpster fire. When you think about dumpster fire franchises, this is what comes up. The Washington football team. They have a lot of really great players. And unfortunately, the representation of the team has little to nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the people at the top. It has to do with Dan Snyder. It has to do with Bruce Allen. It has to do with with every single person who was part of that damn good culture someone prominent needs to speak out and speak out about it and give a voice to this dysfunction so we can finally put an end to one of the most, one of the saddest and most disgraceful stories in pro football. And that has been, you could say even before that, but, but, but the past 20 years, a lot of the things we've seen from Washington and, and the ownership group and, and the front office of Washington had been just terrible representations for the league and the sport of professional football. I'm talking about the allegations. I'm talking about the name. I'm talking about the defense of the name. I'm talking about the lengths that people went to, specific people went to, to defend something that was a racist name, that everyone knew was a racist name, that if you went back in time to, to um, uh, George Marshall, I believe, was the owner who came up with the name, the team name. You went back in time and y- you talked to this person. This is someone who was a vehement racist. The Washington football team were the last team to integrate player, black players into football. It took them until 1969 to do that, people. And we're not supposed to believe that this team is rooted in a history of hatred and and bigotry and racism and every other terrible thing, honestly, you can throw under the sun. Come on. I'm happy RG3 is giving a voice to it. I'm happy that we're still talking about it because it deserves to be talked about until there is substantive, I should say, change. There needs to be substantive change in Washington. And I'm not just talking about there needs to be change as far as ownership. I'm talking about there needs to be a lot of change. The stadium sucks. The As someone who's lived in D.C., the location of the stadium is less than adequate for any real person from D.C. to get to. It's easier to get from a train, from public transportation. It's easier to get from Wash inside Washington to Baltimore to go to a Ravens game than it is to go from uh, D.C. to Landover, Maryland to see a Washington football team game. Part of that is because you have to transfer lines. The other part of that is the fact that you have to walk for like 20, 30 minutes when you get off the Metro to the stadium. Who are you appealing to? not the people you try to appeal to or that you say you appeal to you're not appealing to people who live in the city you're appealing to suburbanites who don't want to go to your games because I'm looking at tickets right now tickets are like 13 bucks spend more money getting to the game than I would actually go in, uh, actually spending to get in it's a problem it's a major problem man and until until they functionally change like just substantively change. Everything about this team, low ticket sales, former players speaking out, former employees, rightfully so, speaking out, and all the above, everything else, it shouldn't stop. Put pressure on the team, put pressure on the NFL, put pressure on the status quo to change. Very easy and simple concept to get. And I don't understand why a lot more people don't really, uh, you know, understand that. Moving on, we have some news out of the NBA. Oof, oof, oof. Bad news if you are a Miami uh, Heat fan or a Chicago Bulls fan because this directly affects you. Although, does it What's up, guys? I'm so excited to announce. Technical difficulties there. I'm so sorry to anyone listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You just got – you just got – I don't even know what to say. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, but moving on, let's talk about uh, the NBA. We had some uh, big news from the NBA. There were some uh fines I wanted to say handed out. We'll talk about it. Anyway, so the NBA has punished both the Chicago Bulls and the Miami Heat for allegedly tampering in free agency of last year. After a four-month-long investigation, the NBA has officially punished the Chicago Bulls and Miami Heat with a forfeiture of their second-round draft picks because of premature discussions in free agency with guards Lonzo Ball and Kyle Lowry, respectively, for the Bulls and the Heat. Lonzo, of course, went to the Bulls, and Kyle Lowry eventually signed with the Heat. Chicago and Miami will also lose their will lose their next available second-round draft pick. And it was also ruled that both teams did cooperate fully with the investigation. And that is why this is such a lenient penalty. Um, so, l- let's talk about it here. Um, and, and look, the Heat and the Bulls, they both released a statement. The Heat said... Very short, by the way. While we disagree, we accept the league's decision. Bulls said, we are glad that this process is concluded and look forward to the rest of our season. Neither of these teams are sweating it, and it's for a reason. And that reason is this did nothing to deter them from doing it in the future. It's below a slap on the wrist. It's a wave of the finger, comparatively. A second-round draft pick, yeah, you only get two. But that outside of that first one, a lot of teams, especially these two teams, the way they're set up, they're not gonna be they're not gonna be, you know, hungry. They're not going to be, you know, missing that second round draft pick. They the Bulls, especially, they they have a they have their starting five is arguably one of the best in professional basketball. So they're not gonna be sweating this punishment and this is not something like look like these they, they these two teams obviously tampered it was found that they obviously tampered and we were always wondering what was the penalty going to be what was the penalty for a team tampering we always hear the term tampering 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 oh you can't do this lebron can't talk to this player it's going to be tampering or whatever we finally found out what happened and apparently nothing the league made such put a, such an emphasis on not tampering we finally found out what they would do, or in this case, wouldn't do, which is put their foot down on it, and we find out how much they really care. and And I think it's a it's everyone knows. Tampering is like one of those unsaid things. Everyone does it. You're you're telling me players don't know or have discussions with teams or other players about where they're going to go. Come on, we no one's that naive. Not even the NBA is that naive. They know players do that. The only reason it's there is to put up a veil of respectability. That's it. Outside of that, players talk to each other all the time. There's a reason KD and Kyrie got together. And it wasn't because they finally figured it out when they both were free agents. Oh, man, we should play together. No, no, no. It's been years in the making. You think D-Wade, LeBron, and Chris Box got together like that in free agency and it came together that quickly? No. Players talk to each other. Teams talk to, you, to each other. If you think that agents don't contact teams in some way about players' interest or teams don't contact agents or players to gauge players' interests, dead wrong. You are dead wrong. And it, it also comes to the question of can you stop tampering? And I think this really shows that you can't. You can't because you're never going to know every single conversation that a team a player or an agent has at all every time. it's never gonna that's never gonna be the case. There are things you can do to mitigate it. There are things like, like teams can't fly out players right when they're playing for other teams to to uh, come to, to talk about free agency or talk about a contract obviously no one's stupid enough to do that. but you really can't stop it. And the NBA really showed how serious this is. It's a non-serious issue. A second-round draft pick? Are you kidding me? You think that's going to stop the Bulls from doing this? The Bulls literally said, cool, this distraction, this this thing is done. It's like they went to detention for like 15 minutes. All right, cool, I'm out. What's up? What's next? They got written a referral to the office. Cool, what's next? Okay, are we done? All right. Cool, we're out. thats literally what happened. It's the dumbest thing ever. Second round traffic? Are you kidding me? Like, didn't even find anyone. Didn't even. Didn't even like suspect. Like th- they don't care, and that's fine. Like I think tampering is like one, honestly, one of the like. It- it's again one of those things the league can't control, and they. It- it's going to be hard for them to try to. I like, think this is really all you can do because you can't warrant taking away. If you take away a first round pick, then I mean. Maybe that stops some teams. Like, but you can't really do anything substantial. And Even for these teams, like a first round pick, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna like hurt them a little bit in development players moving forward. But really want to hurt them? You could if you really want to hurt them. If you really want to punish teams, go after the salary cap. Go after the salary cap for tampering. Say you lose X amount, five million dollars, ten million, ten million dollars, whatever. In salary cap money, the next year, that'll scare some teams off when you mess with their budget and when you mess with their money. But I don't think the NBA is in a position to, nor will they actually do that, because can't again. You it's you can't regulate something that obscure and that uh, personable. You just can't. Uh, moving on, uh, before we get to our NFL picks this week. We have uh, one, actually, hold up, yeah, yeah, let's do that. So, w- before we get to our NFL picks, we do have uh, one bit of news, I don't know, one story that I found interesting. So, there was like a, for people who don't know, there was like this huge fight that took place in, um this, you, I, I don't even know how to explain it. Anyway, there was a huge high school fight that really took the internet by storm this week. It, it took place in Carlisle, I hope I'm saying that right, Iowa, as you can see right here, Carlisle, Iowa. It was between um, a team from Nevada and a team from Carlisle. And as at the end of the game, as players are going to shake hands and, and bump fists after the game, respectively, you can see this one kid from Carlisle absolutely decks this other kid from from uh, Nevada it was a bad look for this high school, obviously. It was a bad look for everyone involved. Kids don't do this, but man, oh man, let's talk about it. Because, wow, this was something. Um, So, the first punch uh, from this kid came to the stomach. The second punch came to the jaw. And apparently these two were jawing at each other the whole game. And maybe that's what instigated it. One person who was there at the gym says, quote, the whole gym went crazy. No one no one knew what to do. And the guy from Nevada was out for a, for a couple of minutes, <laughs> which yeah, it looks like he was. You could tell something was definitely wrong with him. And look, it's also a serious issue. Like, this is a sucker punch. This is a sucker punch. You know, this was not even like you didn't see it coming. This was just caught him at, like, the most vulnerable time when everyone thinks they're safe. They're doing the... The the hand bump and the fist bump, and I guess he bumped fists in a way, but this was bad. Um, the Carlisle superintendent said, This is without question an unfortunate incident that is not representative of the school culture that exists at Carlisle Community District Schools. I want to make it clear that this co- type of conduct will not be tolerated. Um, Nevada superintendent uh, said, it was an un- it was very unfortunate and disturbing situation. Fortunately, it sounded like our player, our student athlete, is going to be all right. Which we're, we're happy that he's going to be all right. You know, he looked like he took a really bad hit there, and he looked like he was out. So I'm glad to hear he's all right. Some students um, apparently said again they traded insults that it was leading up to like it was leading up to something, and everyone kind of knew it. Um, and someone actually said this was a Carlisle high school student actually said this. He said he had some. he had said something during the game that Carter, who was the person who punched him, uh didn't like at the end. So Carter went up and finished it, which is, which was a very, which was little way too beyond if you ask me. So there is even his, his fellow students not agreeing with that. He didn't have to go that far. I think we can all agree on that. Like, this is just, you shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. It really just shouldn't happen. There's no excuse for this happening, For being honest. But, man, oh, man. Like, talk about, like, talk about just, if you're going to do it, like, there's a way to do it. I'm not condoning this at all. Actually, you know what? No, there's not a way to do it. If you're in high school especially, don't do crap like this. Like, this is just, there's no need for it. The game's over. The game is over. It's not a, like you can even say it's the passion of the game. Again, we don't know what the one student said to this student, uh, Carter, who apparently hit him. We don't know what was said, but it's hard to believe and who knows, but it's hard, I, I find it very hard to believe it warrants this. If something bad was said and, and you know there was fighting or whatever took place in the heat of the moment, at that moment, I could understand that because we all get angry. We all say stuff, we all do stuff that we, in our rational minds, wouldn't do. But this is just, this is too far. I think I agree with the, the fellow student, it's just, it's just too far, you can't do it. Moving on um, from this stuff, let's finally, finally, by God, finally, get to our uh, final segment here. If I can uh, pull up the... Uh, picture, there we go, NFL Week 13, baby. We got a bunch of great games here um, to talk about. Before we do, though, please hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. NFL Week 13 is just around the corner, and we got a bunch of great games to look forward to. All of the games are listed right here. Um, So let's preview them. Let's go through who is going to win and lose every single game from NFL Week 13. Let's start off with the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday Night Football tonight, taking on the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans is switching to Taysom Hill at quarterback, which I'm very much excited to see. The Dallas Cowboys coming off that big loss on Thanksgiving night to the Oakland Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders, I should say. Going to be interesting to see what happens there. I'm taking a chance on the home team. If not now, then when If the Saints want to make a push for the playoffs, they switch quarterbacks. The kid is dynamic. There's not a lot of film on him from this year. I think Taysom Hill gets the win in his first uh, start this season as the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Moving on, on Sunday, on the Sunday slate of games, we have the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Houston Texans in a divisional matchup. The Colts need to win. They're sitting at five hundred. The Texans are obviously not really in playoff contention at all. Colts, if you are the team that everyone thinks you are, and if you are the team that you want everyone to believe that you really are, you cannot have a trap game. You cannot afford to lose. That would put you at 6-7 and seven and not in a good position. You want to be at least above 500 in this very competitive AFC. Colts got to get the win here, and I think they do behind uh, Jonathan Taylor, who is playing lights out as far as running backs goes the best out of all the running backs in the league um they're getting the win behind him against a honestly it's not a good football team in Houston. Tyrod Taylor, I love you, but it's not a good football team. Colts get the win there. Vikings, Lions, if there's one team that I trust in the biggest and on actually not even the biggest, if there's one team I trust in the most obscure moments to have a dud game against a bad team, it is the Minnesota Vikings. D.C., Dan Campbell, I'm talking to you right now. If not now, when? You got to get this dub. I am taking the Detroit Lions until I can't take them anymore. They are they have to win this game. I'm going to say they will, and it's a very realistic, uh, I think, pick because the Vikings are— inarguably the most inconsistent team in football they're in some games they're not in some games they go down to the wire they win they tie it is it's weird obscure it is the perfect type of game for the Detroit Lions to just find a way finally find a way to just sneak in a win here and avoid an 0-16-1 just absolute record-breaking <laughs> finishing record let's hope it doesn't come to that though Let's get them to 0-15-1. I got the Lions in this one. Miami hosting the New York football Giants. Didn't they, they Didn't look good for the Giants on Monday Night Football. They fired Jason Garrett. They win against the Eagles last Sunday. This is a team that, you know, I think they're going to hang around. But do they beat a team in Miami that's trying to win five straight now, trying to push themselves back in the playoff contention? I don't think so. I think Miami's playing really good football. Tua is getting healthier and healthier. I think that's going to be the difference. I'm taking Miami in this one. Next, we go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the, Ari- uh, the Arizona Falcons. The the, <laughs> the Atlanta Falcons, who just, I don't know why they're winning games. They're just ruining their own draft picks. It's the Bucs, and it's it's you know what? It's going to be the Bucs by a lot early. Atlanta's going to come back against Tom Brady and then find a way to just dud it at the end because that's what Atlanta does. Prove me wrong if you think I'm full of shit, but I don't think I am. Tampa Tom does what he does best, and that is humiliate the Atlanta Falcons, and he's going to do it in their, in their own stadium. I got a Tampa Bay in this one. Um, Jets-Eagles, very interesting matchup. The Eagles... Were a few drop passes away from actually winning or being in a position to win that game against the Giants, they possibly could have been, I believe, uh, five, uh, six, and six at this point. That's not the case. They're five and seven, trying to keep pace in that NFC uh, playoff picture. The Jets are just trying to keep pace with themselves. I don't know what's. I don't. I don't know what to say about this team. Robert Saul is a good coach. I think he's in a bad spot. Uh, Zach Wilson has the potential to be very good. He's in a just impossible spot as far as that offensive line goes and the lack of talent around him. It's going to be hard for him to pull out this football game, especially after the Eagles coming off of a loss that they knew they shouldn't have lost. I think the Eagles and Jalen Hurts especially want, are out to prove something. I think Jalen Hurts is out to prove that he, that last week, the three interceptions were not indicative of him the jets don't have the talent to match it up which is saying something when you're going up against the eagles but i have the eagles in that one um well that's well that's obviously a mistake um <laughs> uh anyway moving on to our next game the arizona cardinals if that is right maybe i maybe i got that wrong let's see This is what happens when I make graphics last minute. Sometimes uh, they end up uh, not being a good. But let's see. Um. Okay, pretend that says Chicago Bears. <laughs> um. Anyway, so pretend that's says Chicago Bears. I'll change it in post. Anyway, so the Arizona Cardinals are going to be taking on the Chicago Bears in Chicago. Man, oh, man. The Bears really could have used the, the extra boost of firing Matt Nagy. They didn't, and they apparently won't. And I think they're going to find out why they should have this week when Arizona, the 9-2 Cardinals, absolutely stomped them 42-3. to It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be football. It's going to be just butt ugly. Just like Matt Nagy's chances of actually staying head coach of the Chicago Bears after the season. Although the Bears have done worse things or made worse decisions. Please, please, please. For the sake of Justin Fields, get someone who's actually competent at his job at head coach, or at their job at head coach, please. Anyway, moving on, a really good matchup here between the Justin Air Bear, Justin Herbert, and the, uh, I almost called them San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals are trying to... Honestly, take over the Ravens spot in the top of the AFC North. They could do that with a win here and a Ravens loss. The Chargers are trying to keep pace in in the somehow still competitive AFC West. They've no-showed in a bunch of games this year where we thought that, you know, maybe the Chargers aren't who we thought they were. Maybe they're not ready for this big moment. This is a matchup of two very young teams that people have very high expectations for and that, that we both know. These quarterbacks have just superstar Hall of Fame potential in both of these guys. And it's exactly the type of matchup that, honestly, I think it, like we're going to be talking about this. Justin Herbert and Joe Burr are two quarterbacks that are forever linked because of where they were drafted, when they were drafted. They're always going to be linked, and this is the first in, hopefully, a great series that we're going to see these two in over the next 10, 15, who knows, 20 years. Um, That being said, I don't trust the Chargers. And that is not saying that I don't trust the Chargers in a big-time game against a big-time opponent like this. To win just yet. I think the Bengals are more prepared at this spot than the Chargers are. That mainly has to do with the fact that, honestly, the Chargers completely did a dud when they faced the the Ravens in Baltimore. When the Bengals did, it was a com- it was completely the other way. They blew them out of the water. It wasn't even close. That's the bar. That's the difference between these two teams. I don't trust uh, L.A. I just don't. But, who knows? You could prove me wrong, but I'm taking... I'm taking Joe Burrow and, and the Bengals here, and it's honestly easy for me. It's honestly easy, and it shouldn't be. Next, the Los An- Next, speaking of Los Angeles teams, the Los Angeles Rams will be playing host to Trevor Lawrence and the putrid Jacksonville Jaguars. Sorry, Tony Khan. Um, what do you want me to say? If the Rams lose this game, they are... Go- Look, here's all I can say. Rams, of course, but if they find a way to lose this game... There's going to be a lot of conversations about the decision to get Matthew Stafford and trading away what they traded away to get Matthew Stafford, trading away what they traded away to get Von Miller, instead of just keeping something that was working with Jared, or with Jared Goff. Say what you want about Jared Goff playing in Detroit. It's a putrid football team around him. Jared Goff got to a Super Bowl with this same L.A. team. Uh, uh, You could argue the receivers around him were worse than the receivers that are around, um, um, uh, definitely worse than the receivers that are around Matt Stafford right now. Not saying anything bad about Matt Stafford, but if they lose this game, you know that's going to be a segment on my show next week. You already know it. Washington is going to be going all the way out to Vegas to face the Las Vegas Raiders who got that big win in the the NFC East against the Dallas Cowboys. There's something about Heineke, man. There is something about that kid. He's efficient with the football. He gets the job done, knows exactly where to go, doesn't make mistakes, doesn't make timely mistakes, and he's a baller sometimes. Can he do it in L.A. in that raucous crowd, or in in Las Vegas in that raucous crowd? The Raiders are weird. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think the Raiders do have a tendency, especially late in the season, to have these dud games in in a row. The jury's still out on them because what I say. They start out—every year, they start out some like—it's very good. They start out like 5-1, and 6-2, and two. They, they they and then they just fall off. We're at the point where they just start to fall off. Granted, they're coming off a win in Dallas on Thanksgiving Day. I'm taking the Raiders with a lot of skepticism. I think it's going to be a close game, and I think Washington has the potential to pull it out with Heineke, but going with the Raiders is my official pick. Finally, we go to the greatest rivalry in the history of professional sports. Fight me, everybody. The Baltimore Ravens are going all the way up to that putrid city up north in Pittsburgh, and they will be facing the down-on-their-luck, older-like-Rover, older Pittsburgh Steelers team, Baltimore, by seven touchdowns. So, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think Baltimore's got it, though. I think Baltimore's got it. It's always a hard-hitting game. These two teams know each other. There's You could argue that there's no two head coaches. That know each other well enough, or, or, or as well as Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh do. Mike Tomlin became the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2007, Harbaugh in 2008. Ever since then, they have been battling each other twice, sometimes three times a year in the playoffs. Uh, these, This is going to be an interesting game. It always is. I'm a homer. I don't care what people think. Baltimore is the better team. Baltimore has a better quarterback. Baltimore has the better chance, and Baltimore is going to win this game. Moving on, we have an NFC West matchup. San Francisco is going to Seattle. I think Seattle has just had their entire confidence crushed this year. They're not going anywhere. They're 3-8. and eight. San Francisco at least has something to play for, and I think they've got it together. They finally got their running back in Elijah Mitchell healthy. Jamie G is looking good, efficient. The injury to Debo Samuel will derail them a little bit, and it might make this closer game, but I'm going with the Niners because I just think they're on a roll, and they're just going to continue to be on a roll. Uh, next, the Denver Broncos are going to be going on Sunday Night Football. This was flexed into Sunday Night Football, by the way. Denver Broncos, who are somehow, someway, under Teddy Bridgewater, after losing Von Miller, after trading away Von Miller, this division is like one of the goofiest in football. Somehow, they are tied for second in this division at 6 and 5. The Chiefs are at 7 and 4. Denver wins this game. Denver leapfrogs them becomes number 1 in the division. That's how close this is. We have the, the Chargers, the Raiders and the Broncos are all 6 and 5 and the Chiefs are 7 and 4. One game separating all these teams. Say what you want, the all conventional wisdom would tell you the Chiefs win this game but the Denver Broncos have the best scoring defense in professional football right now. People don't score a lot of points on them, and if you look at the Chiefs, I know the Broncos' offense is bad. The Chiefs' defense is just as bad. It's the perfect time for Teddy Bridgewater to finally have a 300-yard game. It's the perfect time for them to use Cortland Sutton, to use uh, Noah Fant. Because... The defense can't stop anyone. Can't stop a nosebleed, as Bart Scott would say. People are going to say that I'm an anti-Chiefs guy or whatever, but I think the Broncos defense actually pulls this out. Teddy Bridgewater is going to be very smart with the football, and they're not going to lose this game. I got Broncos by four. Finally, Monday night football in a game that is likely going to decide the division i mean like like look this is something i never thought i'd say or many people didn't think they'd say this year the new england patriots have a chance this week to go 9 and 4 and really just start to run away with this division because right now bills are sitting at 7 and 4 patriots at 8 and 4 they patriots win this game they're sitting at 9 and 4 bills at 7 and 5 a solid two games back not where they want to be. And for the Bills, it doesn't get easier. They still got to face a bunch of tough teams. That being said, I don't know what to say. That being said, there's nothing to be said. Bill Belichick is proving this year why he is the greatest coach of all time. He's taking a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones to an 8-4 record. Mac Jones has also played very well. Don't want to discount that, but Bill Belichick has prepared this whole team to play well. Defense is playing great. I think the Patriots win. <laughs> and, I, and I and I think, yeah, they go up to Bills Mafia. They go up to Buffalo. By the way, Bills have lost two at home already. They're 4-2 and two at home. So they are susceptible at home. Patriots have won six in a row. Make it seven. I got the Patriots there. That has been the full breakdown preview predictions of Week 13. I'm probably going to be wrong, but I don't care. Anyway... If you guys let me know what you guys have to say about that, hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell. In the meantime, keep the conversation going. On Twitter, follow us at Real Take Sports. Real Take Sports Talk on Twitter, or on Facebook and Instagram, I should say. And head on over to patreon.com forward slash Real Take Sports. Also, donate to our Streamlabs. Link in the description of this episode. Until next time, I'm Omar Q, and keep it real.